Hello everybody and welcome to the FPL report card of Southampton's conveniently bisected by two managers between the game weeks of 17 and 28 we will oversee how Nathan Jones's chameleon-like structures revolved around various players before and after the transfer window leading up to game week 23 where he was officially sacked and then we will examine how Ruben Seyes the second in line reverted to pragmatism as he steered the ships from Game Week 24 up to our current Game Week 29. Southampton under Nathan Jones really relied on direct duels as they tried to utilise the attacking talents of James Ward-Prowse using various setups to play him in the number 10 position while everyone else revolved around him. This included shady tactics such as playing Carl Walker-Peters, usually their best right back all the way on the left side, while implementing width using youth such as Edozi as well as Genepo. While young and able bodies such as Diallo and Lavia were int eventually introduced alongside JWP in the centre of midfield, Chaos reigned free on the flanks as well as up front, while the likes of El Yunusi also became a relatively free-moving piece, usually being replaced by Aribo or Armstrong in attack. The January transfer window saw some promising results in the Cups, boasted by the new arrival of signings such as Sulemana and Onuachu from the Belgian League that brought about some stability in Southampton's approach. The legacy that Nathan Jones left behind is the amount of spotlight he put on the individual attacking talents of his huge and bloated squad. Sulemana as a dribbler combined with Alcaraz as a number 10 all starred in the most recent game against Wolves before he got sacked, while Onuachu made himself a firm presence utilising the crossing abilities of yet another new signing, James Bree. So new manager Ruben Sayers had a big decision to make, to either bank on the attacking talents of his new signings or to revert back to the old setup that revolved around JWP that at least got a win against Everton. What we know, at least, is that Ruben Sayers would attempt to set his side up to take advantage or to neutralise opposition threats. In his first win in his very first game against Chelsea, he crammed the midfield using a narrow 4-4-2 formation which showed nuance to his initial setups. Sayers would soon find out that really, no matter what tactical setup he used, he was at the mercy of the quality of his players. Despite delivering a momentous 1-0 win against Chelsea, his side followed up with a 1-0 loss against Leeds despite tactically outsmarting the Whites. One thing good about Sayers though is that he recognises talent and form in a particular position when it surfaced. Among the dismal performances at Leeds was a silver lining in the form of Theo Walcott which he kept against Leicester that delivered yet another win. This translated into further chances missed by the winger in their 0-0 draw against Man United despite being a man up that translates to the current state of their plan A. At the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves what is the identity of Southampton's attack? The answer lies somewhere between the tried and tested method of not fixing what is broke. So long as Theo Walcott is being played in the right positions, he will be amongst the big chances and this applies similarly to JWP.
Somehow, at the other end of the spectrum, Sayers has demonstrated that he is willing to chop and change his side based on tactical nuance and being reactive at least to their opponent's dangers. The difference between him and perhaps a modern 2010s manager was his tactical nuance introduced into the side to take advantage of tactical flaws that opponents may or may not have. Still, he is subjected to the finishing quality of his players on the game as his in-game management has yet to sparkle besides the most recent game where he brought on all his young dribblers against Spurs instead of starting with them at, from the beginning. This leaves Sayers' Southampton in a quandary moving forward. Does he rely on individual duels and setups that might bear fruit across the 90 minutes despite being outplayed by opposition? Or does he go with an initial setup that is designed to handle opposition and deliver wins but is subjected to squad depth when opponents react and punish his side later on? So Southampton would represent a pick that would be ideal for the managers who have used a bench boost chip prior to game week 34. The idea here is that when you pick them up in game week 33, their fixtures will read Bournemouth in 33 itself at home, and then you would bench them as you feel your best 11 for game week 34's double game week, then you hold them for 35 and 36 for Forest away, and then Fulham at home. They will almost certainly be a convenient transition of a Brentford player who will have Chelsea and Liverpool either side of this double game week. So really, the question comes down to whether you're willing to take a punt on a Southampton side that at least has picked up points based on their new manager. So if there is one thing that Ruben Sayers has brought in terms of stability to the side is that he has reverted his fullbacks to their orthodox roles. Romain Perrault remains their best left back while Kyle Walker's succumbing to an injury against, South, against Spurs played mostly on the right side and sparkled while he worked with his forwards. So the question comes down to whether they will take advantage of Bournemouth and Fulham between game weeks 33 to 36 as both sides, as well as Forrest by the way, have shown frailties defending crosses from deep as well as late runners from deep. Bournemouth, for example, conceded a lot of chances from the flanks when Reese Nelson, a direct winger, came on crossing for Ben White, the right back, who scored. At the same time, Fulham has shown frailties moving forward with Robinson because of the introduction of Manor Solomon, who isn't as diligent defensively further forward. So really, if you're looking for a creative threat, Romain Perrault will almost suit hand-to-glove in this system, but if you are looking for a more goal-scoring threat, then look no further than KWP. Southampton's defense, thankfully, doesn't involve any chaotic transitions from a four-back system to a wing-back system previously under Nathan Jones. Instead, Sayers has maintained a steady two blocks of four, sometimes operating deep and narrow, sometimes pushing out wide as they react to various opposition. Their biggest weakness, or at least the commonality between the various weaknesses shown across their different matches so far, has been their myopia, where they focused on the immediate threats within the vicinity and then allow space to reactively deal with secondary threats later on. 
The most recent example saw them match up against Spurs' three forwards who all operated as a compact unit. Their reaction was to have their back four also tucked in narrowly to deal with this front three, conceding a lot of space to the likes of Pedro Porro. Perhaps ideal for our case, we can understand now that Southampton adopt a mentality of tit-for-tat where they are willing to concede chances as long as they force their opponents into executing their plan A well. In this particular case, Southampton allowed Spurs' front three to play the wingbacks through as it forced the wingbacks into making good decisions on the fly. But really, we saw this pattern of play further back as well as they attempted to get Brentford to engage them man for man while against Man United, they basically sat deep and allowed their usual playmakers to operate from whatever dangerous spaces they operated from such as Bruno Fernandes and Rashford's linkage on the left. Even their 1-0 wins against Chelsea and Leicester saw Chelsea and Leicester themselves rack up multiple chances in either Chelsea's half spaces or Leicester's play down the flanks where Castan shined. So once again fitting into their overarching philosophy, Southampton's defence basically is subject to outscoring their opponents and allowing oppositions to come at them. This bodes well of course for the upcoming double game weeks where West Ham rock up against Southampton and this will almost certainly favour the playmaking abilities of Lucas Paqueta and the finishing abilities of Ben Rama. At the same time, should we choose to own any Manchester City or Arsenal assets leading up to game week 32, really all we have to do is pay attention to both big teams' current setups and purchase accordingly. With the report card of Southampton, we now see the third type of team that is fighting to avoid relegation. We first looked at Bournemouth who are starting to show progressive tactics with a calculated risk of conceding a lot of space through the centre. While for West Ham and Moyes in particular, it's not to say that his tactics were outdated but it's more of his execution of relatively simple tactics continues to cause his more than stellar attackers to underwhelm. As for Southampton, we see their lack of star power come forward as a potential problem as their tactics opt for a more blow-to-blow -blow approach taking advantage of flawed sides such as Leicester and Chelsea coming away with victories while at times they fail to turn favourable positions particularly against Manchester United into victories as they put their hands as they put their fates sorry in the hands of the players on the pitch. This is FPL teacher who will now examine a side that is more similar to Bournemouth rather than Southampton Crystal Palace. <laughs>